0: Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today we'll be talking to Kyle Marshall, a friend of mine who talks to me today about his time in 4-H growing up in a small town, as well as how literature and entertainment has helped him understand different sorts of people. He tells us about public speaking, his fears, and how he's grown through opportunities like university and travel, as well as work opportunities. If you're looking for some advice in life and some great stories, this is the episode for you. We have a fantastic conversation ahead. Looking forward to it. Today, we've got Kyle on here, and your last name is Marshall, right? Awesome, yeah. I figured it was. Yeah, so how did we meet five minutes ago?
1: That's right. It was a crazy time. He just randomly ran up to me on the street and said, I have a podcast. Uh, no, we we met because we are both part of the Calgary Video Creators Facebook group, uh, formerly known as YouTube Calgary. And it was one of the meetups. I can't yeah. tell you which specific meetup it was necessarily, but we, we met through there.
0: Yeah, one of the first at uh, Memorial Park, probably, right? Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, that was that was good. I feel like it was just me, you, and Matt Mort at that one. Yeah, and
1: no, it was actually and was was Carmen Carmen was there and Brian I think was there Brian Uh, yes
0: I don't know Brian maybe I should you
1: you probably do he does like live oh
0: yeah yeah oh of course I know Brian yeah Yeah. I'm like
1: I'm pretty sure it was only the 5OS but it was only us three for like the longest time and then the Mm. other two showed up later. yeah
0: yeah no those were good back in the the early days I haven't been to one of those forever but there's more people coming out now right Oh, yeah. yeah yeah okay we
1: get, we get pretty good turnouts now whenever we do like the last one we did here was a potluck and when i say here i'm talking about media lab not some amorphous yeah <laughs> here uh here it uh was oh gosh like 14 people or something showed up really it was, it was quite a big group that's
0: awesome yeah mm-hmm. yeah i i haven't been to one of these in a while for for the viewers or listeners Do you say listeners that's or viewers yeah for the listeners out there in uh are all around the world. I'm too big time now. I'm too big Hollywood. time. Yeah, I know. I I'm just way way up there. No, I'm just oh work. But anyways, so Kyle, tell tell me a little bit about yourself because I don't I don't know you super well. Sure. Like uh, all I know about you is since I've known you, kind of thing, yeah, exactly. right?
1: Well, I was born and raised in a little small town called Rocky Mountain House. Okay. The actual name of the town that I grew up in. It is about two hours north of Calgary, and I grew up on a farm, mostly. So when I was born, my dad had built this house a few years earlier. I have an older brother who's three years older than I was. So after my brother was born, he built this house and was kind of like a little subdivision area uh, out in the country. And then he decided around the time I was six years old, that it was time to go back to his roots. He was also raised on a farm. But he wanted us kids to be raised in kind of the same way. So we moved over there into this hmm. like older house, and we got a bunch of cows, and we just started to raise cows. on the Really? Farm. And I did that until I was 18 years old and kind of moved away. Really?
0: Because mm-hmm. you do not strike me as a farm boy.
1: <laughs> no, I'm definitely not that stereotypical, like, Alberta... Uh, "Quote unquote redneck." Yeah. Although, what I will say and is that it absolutely shaped who I was. Yeah. In many, many ways. And while and where I still do have sympathies for uh, rural communities, like I kind of understand that philosophy because that's what I grew up in. All my aunts and uncles and uh, my my family, like that is and friends <laughs> growing up is that is who I associated with for the most part. Um, and so I was also in this thing called 4-H do you know what that is no so 4-H is a you know community club that kids can join into okay and it has various different iterations but it does have to do with farm kids so we were in what's called beef 4-H which means that we picked out a, a calf at the at uh in the spring and then we raised that calf until we actually had it went off and actually sold them uh in the kind of the summertime really so, yeah so that was kind of our thing. Now we did other community events, like we did highway cleanups. We went out onto the highways, yeah, garbage. We uh, did public speaking, so we had to do a public speaking competition each year. Uh, we went and did, did volunteer work in different in different areas. So we always we were doing something like that. Huh. But, which is probably why I can still get up in front of a group and actually speak to people, is because I had all this training while I was growing up to do just that. Yeah, so I would consider myself a pretty. Uh, introverted person for the most part. I like to listen a lot. But if I had to, I can get up and, and, and speak
0: quite a bit. That's so cool. So Because I can see the the effect that that's had on you. Mm-hmm. Like, I can I can see, even though you are, you know, maybe a little more introverted, I can see that you're very comfortable talking to people. Oh, yeah. I mean, what you do, basically, is talk to people, yeah, right? That's right, that's right. So that's that's really cool. So you did volunteering, and this is called 4 H. 4 H is what it's called. And what does that stand for? Do you know? <laughs> I do. Okay.
1: So the so 4 H's are heart, health, head, and hands. Uh, those are the four things that we, we take a look at through in the group. I don't know if I can still do the pledge or not. I'm not going to try because I'll probably fail miserably. <laughs> But that's what it's talking about. They want you to grow to be like a whole person so like your hands are there to help other people. Yeah. Your heart there to like, you know, give thanks and stuff like that. Your head to like become smarter and stuff and health to be like a, a better person type thing. So it has, it's all kind yeah. of put together. Most small rural towns will probably absolutely know what you're talking about when you say forage. Really? when you go into the cities and nobody knows what you're talking about.
0: So this is like a pretty common thing amongst farmers and
1: stuff. Go al- any place in Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, bc even like all of them have like their own personal 4-h clubs really but you can get into like we did like i said beef but there's like the horse 4-h club there's like pig 4-h and uh there's even stuff for like grain farmers and stuff like that so there's a bunch of different things that's
0: <laughs> so them. cool mm-hmm. and it and it's just meant to like you said turn you into a whole person yeah
1: but that, that's huh. the drive for it. I think the yeah. biggest thing I did take away from it was that public speaking experience. But, yeah. Uh, and I, I think maybe that was the ulterior motive that my parents had because they could tell I was like super shy. Yeah. So, like, forcing me to go and do stuff and get out of the house. Growing up, I was what you could consider a huge bookworm. Yeah. I would read and read and read. We had a pretty long bus trip into town yeah. uh, for school. So we were, when we moved to the farm, We were the first kids picked up in the morning, and the last kids dropped off at night. Oh, really? What that means is that uh, we were picked up around 6.30 in the morning, which means that we had to be up at about 5.30 every morning so that we could get breakfast, go do the chores, get showered, get ready so that I could be on the bus by 6.30, and then it would be about an hour to an hour and a half bus ride because I'd go pick up all the kids. Yeah. So during that entire time, what was I doing? I was reading a book all the time. Yeah. During summer, I didn't much like going outside. I would because I liked reading outdoors too, but it was more like I was reading.
0: (laughs) Because I I liked reading outdoors.
1: I was not not enjoying the sun. I would like, find a tree, go into the shade, because I'd burn really badly. I'd just be reading constantly. That's what I did when I was growing up. Really, to the point. If you ever actually seen some of my older videos that I did when I when I filmed them more in my house, yeah, there's always this big bookshelf that was behind me, those are legitimately the books that I have amassed, and they're actually not all of them, to be honest. There's still a ton of them still back in my parents' place.
0: And are you one of the people who has just an absurd amount of books yes. that they have but haven't read? Correct. Yeah, yes. I yeah.
1: probably maybe have read a quarter of the stuff that I actually, which is
0: in my still house. really impressive, mm-hmm. because I know, I mean. I have a small bookshelf and there are a few of them, actually quite a few of them on there that I haven't read. Um, one of them I started reading, but it was way too dense. Oh, I,
1: yeah. It, you have to uh, balance that a little bit. I yeah. Recently, and when I say recently, probably within the last four to five years, really got into reading nonfiction. Related. Okay. I was always a fiction person. Like really? I to be told a story. Yeah. And it's not, yeah, and recently reading like biographies and business books and like all that.
0: All yeah. This,
1: that kind of stuff. But mostly it was fiction. The the classic, I read a ton of, like, Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Mysteries growing up. Oh, really? Probably, like, most of them I have read. Yeah. Um, Some of, like, the Baby Club when I was just getting into that area. And then I started switching into, like, pretty much epic fantasy. So we're going into, like, Lord of the Rings and then the Robert Jordan Wheel of Time series I was reading by the time I was, like, 14. So I was, like... Wow. Really, I was a very advanced reader by the time I got into high school. Yeah. Even in junior high.
0: Yeah. That's so cool because I mean I am not like that. Sure. I I didn't read my first novel series till after high school. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. so you know that that's cool to see the differences and I can s- see how much of a bookworm like I mean there's a book right yeah, beside sorry. you on the <laughs> desk there and I watched your video uh, last night. And yeah, yeah, which I fell asleep watching, so I didn't. I didn't finish it. It's not because it was boring. I was just just really tired. (laughs) Anytime, Kyle. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So, and you talk about a lot of different books in your videos as well. So, those. How how have how has reading books affected you?
1: Well, I can give you the. Pretentious answer. I'll do that first, but yeah. I do still think it's true, even though it's a little bit like floofy. Yeah, uh, which is I do think that by reading other people's stories, whether it is nonfiction or fiction, that it gives you more empathy to other people. Yeah, especially growing up in small rural Alberta, my access to other cultures and other ideas was fairly limited. Yeah, right. Um, and by reading, I found myself in. know, different areas of the world, understanding different socioeconomic realities for people, understanding different genders and and different backgrounds. And I think by doing that, it allowed me to be like, okay, these are the things that are similar to our experience, and these are the things that are vastly different. So I have to start to understand that no matter who it is that I'm meeting in, in my life is that it is different, in quotes as we might be, there's probably some similarities yeah. that we have in something. We're not completely opposed on something. Yeah, I do think that reading gave me that a whole lot, that there's probably more to you than just the surface level I'm seeing right now. Is yeah, something deeper that, that's going on. In
0: your yeah, life? so the floofy answer, as yes. you called it, is you gained a lot more perspective for people and their lives and their problems Correct. kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, which I, I assume is true, despite... Like you said, maybe sounding a little pretentious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's probably absolutely true. What's the non-pretentious well, answer? I
1: think reading is just fun for me. I've always yeah. enjoyed it. I just like the the entertainment of it all. I even though I went to university to become an English major, which I did get, I have an English degree. Yeah. It's I, and going actually back to your kind of schooling thing about like not really reading book series or anything like that until after leaving. I do think, this is becoming one of my bigger passions in life, that our education system in North America is not the best at equipping kids and students with a love of learning. Yeah. It's really made there for you. Like, here's some facts. Just remember them. Here's a test. Just uh, regurgitate what we told you. Yeah. This test. Or... As an English person, as a person who loves literature and movies and stuff, my most hated question, which is, like, what did the author mean by this? Mm. Which I think is, like, the least interesting question to ever ask about a book. Yeah. it doesn't matter, in my opinion, (laughs) what the author intended, uh, or what the author meant, I should say. Yeah. Regardless, uh, I think that there's that entertainment value. I don't think, when I go and see movies, this, this comes up more so is that when you get into like, those like, real big movie snobs, which I can sometimes be, it's like uh, you can't enjoy this, the blockbuster film at the same time, and I'm yeah. both. I think there's room for both, and there should be both. There's the stuff that's like, you know what, sometimes I just want to sit down and I want to laugh at something, or I just want to sit down and be entertained by something. I don't want to be like, oh, there's a like, huge like, emotional journey I'm going on through this story great for some moments in my life other times it's like i just need to laugh i want an hour and a half comedy that's going to get me (laughs) yeah four huge chuckles that i want to get out of
0: (laughs) yeah you have a really good understanding of that different things matter at different times and to different people in different ways i guess so i i think that's excellent because that's something i've had to work on is having that perspective for all sorts of different people right right and so you, you grew up on a farm. You, you did all the farm stuff <laughs> that right. one would expect. You did a lot of farm stuff. Um, which I, I grew up in the city, so I know nothing about. <laughs> right. uh, you, you were part of the 4-H club that helped yep. you develop your speaking abilities. And you, you were also a big reader that helped you develop those perspectives and stuff. So going, going into adulthood after you aged off the farm, I guess, yeah, in a right. way, flew the coop. Uh, what, was, what was next?
1: Well, what happened next, so it was getting to be about grade 11-ish, and I was thinking, okay, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I should really start thinking about careers, what I want to do. And since am a very, very early age, I've always wanted to become a teacher. That really? was my driving force. I yeah. had some really great teachers at a young age, and I was like, I want to do that same thing. So I started looking at what I needed to make that happen, and I knew I didn't want to travel, like, super far away. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go to a different province or to a different country that didn't interest me necessarily. Uh, So I was looking at, okay, so in Alberta, the province that we live in, what is the best schooling to become a teacher at? Yeah. And by all marks and by all the different councils I went to, it was the University of Lethbridge. Yep. The University of Lethbridge is considered the best place to go and become a teacher because there's a very high level that you have to, to be to become certified in teaching hmm. from the University of Lethbridge. So I said, okay, that's what I want to do. So in high school, I excelled and got the marks I needed to get and went to the University of Lethbridge in the year 2001. So here's one is when I started my university career, Wow, Um, which is, that's a very interesting date if you, if you, if you're thinking of it. So I'll tell you in in a moment what I mean by that. Uh, I will say this. It was a huge culture shock for me. Again, being insulated in a very small community, now living on campus, not in my parents' house anymore, a bunch of new people that I did not know. There was not a single person from my high school that I was close friends with that was there at the same time as me. So I was forced to go and try and make new friends um, in a different schooling atmosphere. This was no longer high school teaching methods or classrooms. These were university-level classrooms. So there was very much different expectations being placed on me. And in the first like week, I was considering, like, I think I should drop out. I just don't know if I'm ready for this or I can do this. Luckily, I, I persevered and, and, and fought through that. The big thing that happened, and why it was such a big moment for me, so like, new experience, new city, new everything, this is the year 2001, I said. So I was there on like September 11th when the, like, the World Trade Centers were, were attacked on 9-11. Yeah. I remember that day very, very vividly because I was up early for a morning class. And my roommate was watching the news live. And we were seeing, we saw that second plane hit the World Trade Center. And that that moment really changed my perception. I mean, the world changed, I think, a lot on that. Yeah. Anyways, oh, yeah. But I could see, like, this is... You're a university, age now you're becoming more, I think, politically engaged. You want to be more active or be an mm-hmm. activist in some, in, in some ways. And I think that really catalyzed, because I was in that university atmosphere... Uh, at that point and that's all we talked about in our classes for like, the next week yeah no matter what kind of class it was like i was in some drama classes an english class i think an anthropology class yeah and that's all we talked about for the next week oh for how sure affect us how this affected the curriculum that we were doing yeah and and just had a lot of conversations around that um so yeah, that was basically what I did for the next four years. Wow. University.
0: Yeah, I was not politically aware at all when that happened. Yeah. I got home from kindergarten and heard about it. Right, right. So. Oh, that makes me feel old, great. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, Kyle. No, you're still a pretty young guy. Um, so, so then going forward into your education, mm-hmm. what what else happened, and how how else did that affect it? You know.
1: Well, I think I definitely be- did become a little bit less shy like I was I was really shy when going going to university still in in high school I really took it to heart like I did not speak to people unless I was spoken to first really like I just did not do it in fact I don't know if I could have done it in Hmm. high school I was just too shy and was too like um anxiety ridden about myself uh there's I think a lot of mental health issues going on at the time which I've since Started to slowly deal with, I think, uh, over time. Uh, but in university, I was kind of forced into it. Partly, I think, that helped me kind of get out of that shell was taking a few drama classes at the yeah. same time. It wasn't like, again, because of my 4-H experience, I could get up in front of a crowd and speak. In fact, I found that way easier to do than speaking one-on-one with another person. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, I was like, oh, well, I know, like, performing, so I could kind of get out of my head a little bit. And okay. I'm like, I mean, now I'm just talking to whomever and i can do a speech or i can do a scene huh. whatever but speaking to one-on-one like i don't know how to where, where would my hands go and like what uh what is the weather doing right now like i didn't know how to actually form a coherent conversation
0: with that's people. so interesting i'm the complete opposite I know. Most people yeah
1: are. I, although i found out recently that like stand-up comedians actors and actresses have the same thing that i do yeah is that one-on-one conversations are hard getting in front of people is super easy for them
0: just so interesting. Which is,
1: yeah, it's really the opposite of what most people do in a daily life.
0: Yeah, yeah, because a lot of people talk about being scared to death of public speaking. Yeah. I enjoy it, but that's only because it scares me so much, <laughs> sure. right? It's like a roller coaster to me. But no, that that's that's really, really interesting to me that 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 you have an easier time public speaking in yeah. like a large group.
1: And still to this day I think I'm still in my element the best when I'm actually talking in front of people than I am on a one-to-one basis for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's a control thing where I feel like I'm in control more of the situation. Really? I don't know. I've never really psychoanalyzed myself too much on that. All I know is that taking those those university courses, the roommates I had specifically in my second year are the people that really, I think, pushed me into a very different trajectory of my life. Because up until that point, it was like, all English, I'm going to become a teacher. That is my... my Arc of my life. That's what I'm gearing towards. In my second year, I had this roommate by the name of Jamie, and he was there for new media, which I don't know if they call it new media in schools anymore. But new media at that time and video production, web design. Okay. Kind of your two things that they were doing. Mostly web design, but there's a little bit of video happening Hmm. at the same time. So learning like the very early um, iterations of Premiere and, and, and that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. And he was showing me what he was working on, and I was like, oh, this is like really cool. And you can do this on a computer now. I thought this was something that only like super professionals were able to do, not someone like in their dorm room could do. Yeah. And so he had like a little camera, a little camcorder that recorded onto actual tapes, but that you could then feed into your computer and then edit if yeah. you needed to. And that type, that really did fundamentally change the way I thought of storytelling and, and being able to communicate with people. Yeah. Because in the back of my head... I mentioned before how teaching was always like, that is what I want to do, because honestly I thought that that was the most realistic thing. Hmm. However, if you had said, pie in the sky, what do you, Kyle Marshall, want to be when you grow up? Yeah. I would have told you, I want to be David Letterman. I want to be a late night talk show host. Yeah. That is like my biggest thing I want in my entire life to happen. I didn't think it was realistic. There's no way that was ever going to happen. I was never going to be able to move to New York City and like take over for him or anything yeah. anything like that. But now, it's like, oh, but I could like create my own content and put that online. YouTube is not a thing yet, I always point out. Yeah. But the very early websites were coming out. Some were actually posting video. There was people like Zay Frank, for instance, who were doing video content, again, before YouTube existed, but doing really interesting, interactive things with audience and, hmm. and that sort of thing. And I started to fall into that kind of a rabbit hole of, like, this is really cool. Yeah. Like what is happening here? So I helped him out with pretty much any project he was doing. If he needed, like, a second camera guy or an actor to fill in or whatever it happened to be, he's like, I'm your guy. I'll, I'll do it every single time. And then what coalesced, in 2005, was the year I graduated university, and kind of a few things happened all at once. So number one... Um, to become an English teacher at the University of Lethbridge, you had to be essentially in the top one or two percentile of students oh, okay uh, getting marks. I was not. Yeah. Uh, I was just outside of that threshold. Oh, okay. So even though I, I still tried to apply, uh, I got the rejection letter saying you're not going to be accepted to the Faculty of Education. I still got my English degree, though, so I was like, okay, I'll get my English degree. And at the same time... YouTube was, was launched and I was like, oh man, this, this right here is changing everything. These are people sitting in their basements, leg- legitimately sitting in their basements, but creating really interesting, thought provoking content Yeah, with just talking to a web camera. Yeah. It was like, this is gonna change the world. Um, I also was wondering how they were paying for all their bandwidth at the time. That was the thing that always was like, there's no way that these people are self-funding this. I later found that that wasn't true. They had some cedars and funders in yeah. the background giving them, like, millions of dollars. But still. Um, so at two, in 2005, then, I was like, well, what do I do now? Well, I have this English degree. I'm not becoming a teacher the way that I thought I was going to. So what does the rest of my life look like? And you really didn't have a plan. Like, I just did not have a plan. So, my friend Jamie said, well, why don't you just move to Calgary? Don't move back to your parents' place, or there's a chance you might never, like, leave. Yeah. (laughs) Just stuck in your hometown and, like, never go anywhere. Yeah. Not that that would have been necessarily the worst thing in the world. I was like, all right, great. He had a cousin's place that had a room for rent. So, I literally graduated, got into my car, drove to Calgary, unloaded, like, the few things I had, and then I was like, okay, well, tomorrow I'm going to try and look for a job because I need to pay the rent somehow, and I don't have rent money currently. Yeah. So I went and plastered my resume pretty much everywhere here in Calgary. The first place, or the only place that hired me was uh, 7-Eleven. Okay. 7-Eleven was looking for night clerks. So yeah. So basically, I worked from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., five, na- five nights a week. Oh, wow. I was also... Uh, being very an eager beaver and had a unpaid internship at a White Iron here in, in the city, which is a production company. Okay. Like video or um, actual TV work and stuff like that. Cool. However, this is literally what I would do on some days uh, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. at 7 Eleven. I would go home, I would sleep for an hour and a half, get up, go down to my internship downtown. Come back home, sleep for two to three hours, get up and go to.
0: (laughs) That is so broken. It is (laughs) is not a good time. Yeah.
1: It was, and you could tell it really affected my performance at the production company because they decided not to hire me on after my you know month or so long internship that I had with them there. Wow. Um, It was very disappointing to me because that's really where I wanted to try and get into.
0: Yeah, and Um, do do you feel that there would have been a better way to go about it though? Because
1: honestly, thinking back. Even though I'm glad I didn't do it this way. But I think thinking back, I probably should have rolled the dice and been like, I'm just going to focus on this internship, not worry about money coming in yet, and give like my 150% into this job and see if they would have wanted to take me further than that and start to pay me afterwards. Yeah. Who knows though? That's like, that's, that's looking back in time because what I love about anyone's life is that when you look at where you are currently and you start going backwards in time? It's like, okay, so this led to this, which led to that. And you change one thing out of that equation, like, yeah. well, I don't know where I'd live, I legitimately mean, would be. Homeless.
0: Oh, you'd have no idea. Yeah. Like, if you had done that, mm-hmm. maybe you'd be homeless. You right. like, I do, I because i have life yeah.
1: not decided to do uh, my own. Like artistic things, or I wouldn't have met certain people. I wouldn't be doing this podcast. Now,
0: so. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe you you would be, except we'd be sitting here, and I'd say, well, "So what? It's what is it like working at da 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 da?" Yeah, exactly. And you'd be at this new place and doing this new thing, and I just happened to meet you some other way, that's which funny. is just you know, it's crazy to think, but really that that's what would would have happened.
1: Yeah, I will tell you this is one of the soul crushing things. So I was there working at Seven Eleven. I worked there for six months, and and in like month four, month five, I remember this vividly, working there, it was like maybe midnight, or around midnight, and these three guys come in, and there were three guys I went to high school with. Yeah. I wasn't good friends with them, they were kind of more of the jockey crowd, more of the popular crowd, I'll say. Yeah. I was not, uh, shock upon shocks, and they come in and they recognize me, and I recognize them, I was like, oh, hey guys, how's it going, that kind of awkward thing when you're just out of high school, like by three Yes. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you're working here. It's like we thought you would be like way more successful, and like that cut me so deeply. Like it's like, oh, that's a punch in the gut. That's
0: kind of like a backhanded compliment, sort of. Because it's like we had such expectations. Because even though we were jocks, we thought you were awesome. That's right. And then they're like, but I guess you're not. I guess you're it's not. It's like, I know. Oh, I
1: like, that affected me for so many weeks. I was like, they're right. Like, why? What am I doing? Like, why? what am I working at Seven Eleven for? Yeah. Um, so, at this, uh, uh, a couple weeks later, I got this phone call from Chapters, uh, which is a bookstore here in Canada, and they'd seen my resume because they were one of the places I dropped my resume off, and they were like, "So we were looking through your resume, and we were wondering if you would want to come and become a manager at Chapters." And I was like, um, "Yes, yes, I would." <laughs> I I went through an interview process, but they decided, "Yep, yeah, we're going to hire you." So I left. 7-11 behind and now had a regular right sleep schedule and I became a manager at Chapters and I lasted there for about three years.
0: That's awesome. So, mm-hmm. so did was this from when you left your resume with them before? Mm-hmm. So, it took really? six
1: months for them to actually take a look at it and actually call me in for an interview.
0: Well, that's fantastic that they that they did, that they did. And, and especially put you in a manager position as well. Yeah, I know. Like, really well.
1: jump right up to manager, which I felt awkward because I was whether they've been 22, 23 years old, Mm -hmm. uh, had never worked at chapters before in my life, and was now being asked to basically lead people that were three times older than I was in some cases. So I had to really figure out how that worked. And I found, for me, this was the start of if you relate to people and also show them that, hey, I am not above doing the same work I'm asking you to do. Yeah. People are so much more willing. <laughs> totally. To help you along. Instead of being like, do this, do that, and this needs to get done. Yeah. Sort of thing. So I definitely learned that um going forward with that. So here's the hard part though. I was being so inspired by like these creators on YouTube and yeah. podcasts were starting to become a sort of thing at that point. Yeah. And I was like, I still wasn't creating anything of my own. And again, that is one of my other biggest regrets is I should have started creating like right then and there. Uh, of something yeah I was too embarrassed I was like I can't do as good as they can um, which is true but you get better as you do it more and more yeah <laughs> That's yeah the thing, which is just not the advice that I was willing to to take at that point um, but then 2010 happened and a few things occurred all at once so I went on this trip to New York City uh, to visit a wedding of a friend, and that was really fun. And I took some videos, and I started to upload those to YouTube just to test out how that whole upload process worked. Yeah, I got a fairly you know, decent response. Um, and then I quit chapters to go and work for Apple yeah. computers because they were opening up a store here, their first store here in Calgary, and doing that because a co-manager of mine was leaving to go to them told me about the interview process. I was yeah. like, oh, that sounds really cool. Uh, Sent in my resume and was uh, on a phone interview within like 20 minutes. Like, really? They, they called me real quickly yeah. uh, into that. I went through this other big, long hiring process and I eventually got there. And then also um, was asked, or not when was asked, I uh, saw a video online from Hank Green, part of the Vlogbrothers who so I'm a big fan of, and he was uh, talking about how they were doing this thing called VidCon. And VidCon was this way to celebrate online video. And I was like, hey, that sounds like right up my alley. And on the whim, I bought a ticket to go down to Los Angeles to do, to do that. So, in quick succession, over a couple, probably more of a couple years, quick chapters, started work at Apple, saw that video from Hank, went down to Los Angeles. And when I came back, I was like, I'm going to make, I became so inspired because I thought it was such a great event and so uh, so innovative and so inspiring that I was like, I'm going to make a video on YouTube every week for the next year. Which yeah. I did. and It's actually continued on for eight.
0: Have you eight been doing seven, one a week for all that time? Yeah, I
1: now do two a week, but yes. I've, I've made a video every week for about eight years.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. man! And so, I guess in in those two years, you took a lot of chances i guess yeah, Eh, I did. you just kind of you said i guess i'm going here now i guess i'm going to vidcon now i guess i'm yeah. you know well, to new york to,
1: too, that yeah I, I really found in my life that if i feel slightly uncomfortable not like i'm like feeling pressured or something but if i feel slightly uncomfortable that it's usually the best time to learn something mm-hmm. and things that i decide to do on a whim. Usually lead to my best life experiences. Yeah, Uh, because back when I was in university, again on a whim, I was like, "What am I going to do for a summer job?" And there was this posting I saw that says, "Hey, come down and work in Massachusetts at a summer camp for two months." Really? Sure. Why not? Let's do it. So I applied and I went down there. I did that for two summers in a row, where I spent two months. At this one summer camp in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Yeah. And a bunch of, and I mean very wealthy kids from New York and Boston were brought there for two months. They were away from their parents for two months. Yeah. From ages 8 to 16, I think is what the ages were of the camp. Wow! Uh, And the first year I was with the 10-year-olds, the second year I was with the 8-year-olds. Okay. And learned so much about myself, learned a lot about the U.S. that way. Yeah. It was the first time I went to New York City. It was was those those summer camp jobs? You only had two days or two days off. Uh, I should say that you only had technically one day off, but you could if you like switch with someone have a two day weekend. Oh, okay. And then, then you just be working for ten days straight, essentially. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, you had your nights off. It wasn't like I was <laughs> yeah <laughs> worked to the bone or anything. But that was the first way I went to New York City, which is a place I'd always wanted to be. I'm a big lo- a lover of Broadway. Yeah. That's where David Letterman is too. And so I remember the very first time going to New York City, sitting on the bus. I look over, and through the fog, you start to see like the Empire State Building. I was like vibrating, like, oh my gosh, like I'm actually going to be yeah. here. And just being able to walk around by myself as like, by the way, I've been 19 years old. That's awesome. Never having seen that many people in one place in my entire life, being like, this is overwhelming, but also real cool. I'm just love- I'm loving this.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So. I- being an introvert yourself, yeah. and then doing these crazy things that oh, yeah. most people would not expect <laughs> an introvert to sure. do, what would? Do you have any advice for introverts?
1: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, like I like I said, pushing yourself slightly out of your comfort zone, I think, is always a good idea. Yeah. And even though I am an introvert, I think what I always want to have the experience. It's just that it really. Drains me. Mm-hmm. And I, do, I do understand that that feeling of being drained if you're speaking with people all day long. Like you go home and you're like just super tight because you've given a lot of energy to people. Yeah. You don't feel invigorated after after you've done that. Um, but I think that secluding yourself away for too long, it just denies you the, the point of <laughs> being alive in the first place. So just trying out new things. I, I would say that the thing that I would try and do differently were I to go back and do it again is try and talk to other people while I was there because I did. I was just like, I was experiencing all this cool stuff. Yeah, There's also before like smartphones and all that other stuff so I didn't have <laughs> any of that stuff. On. Yeah. to really like be tweeting or like having that sort of engagement yeah. with it. It was more like I'm seeing this and I'm just going to have to try and remember this in my memory banks that I'm having this experience. Yeah. Um, but I wish I would have taken the time to like sit down with like an an actual New Yorker and just have a conversation with them. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And I was just like experiencing the city like swirling around me.
0: Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So, so you, you've taken these chances, you've gone out, you've tried new things. uh, You, you got a job at the Apple store and then where do we go from there?
1: I've had a kind of a roller coaster there uh, at Apple. The, Compressed version is this, is that I started off as a salesperson, became a, a technical person for a while, like I was fixing phones for a couple of years, and then I actually fell into doing something that I really loved, which was being a trainer. So weirdly enough, what I went to university for, to become a teacher, is what I actually eventually became yeah. when I went to Apple. So I was teaching not only customers coming in about like their phones and their computers, but I was also teaching internal staff. Right? Okay. Like, this is how you do your job properly, this is how you talk about products, this is how, this is what the products do, (laughs) this the internal components, this is why that's important to know, that sort of thing. That elevated me where I had this really awesome year-long experience where Apple paid for me to travel around to different places. Really? Yeah, I was sent down to normally Texas and California were the two primary places. Yeah. But I was essentially training other trainers, really teaching them how to train properly at apple so i got to do that about seven times yeah where for 10 days i was sent off to be to austin or to Cupertino, and i got my you know airfare my hotel and my food was all paid for really i got to be in the classroom or like teaching these people for the day but at night i would be able to go and experience like the city and the food and all the other cool stuff
0: that's so cool so they they must have liked you yeah, at least you. You must have at least been okay. That's
1: right. I was
0: I was. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not there anymore. Right. And was that your most recent job before yeah, correct. coming here? Okay. So here is the media lab. Yes. And this is I mean, you've had a really cool life. I which <laughs> I knew nothing about. I knew you worked at the Apple store cuz you were there when I first met you. Right. And uh, you know, but beyond that, I knew nothing. I had no idea. You grew up on a farm. Sure. You were involved in this 4-H thing as a kid that taught you all these cool things. And, and now, you know, and I can see how all of these things have affected you mm-hmm. up to this point. And now you have the Media Lab YYC. That's right. Uh, which is the space that we're recording this in. Yeah. And so tell me about that and how that yeah. started and how it is so now. This
1: is probably the scariest thing I've ever done, which was, this was, because I went to the very first, first VidCon, I've gone to every other VidCon since then. So there's a little, there's eight of them, I guess. It'll be my ninth here in June. A couple of years ago, though, I was sitting on the airplane about to come back. And I was really disappointed because I really wanted to go and see the YouTube space that's in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, which is something that's owned by Google. It's kind of like a place that has cameras and green screens and editing stations and stuff. And I just really wanted to go and visit it. And I found out online that I can't just go and visit it. You have to have a certain level of subscribers to even enter through the door, which was disappointing. I was like, okay, well, I guess I can't go and do yeah. that. So I sit on the plane, I was like, man, I really wish like Calgary had something that was like that. There was a production studio that people could just come in and use the facilities. Uh, use the editing stuff, use the cameras, use uh, all this other cool stuff. And at the same time, I was really getting really into podcasts at that point. I was like, it could even be a combination studio, like video and podcasting, and just be this really cool space that people can come and interact with. And so then the light bulb switched over at that point. I was like, well, maybe I can be the one who creates that and makes it a reality in in Calgary. Which I know sounds very boastful and uh, (laughs) a little bit uh, narcissistic, but that was the thought that my head. Well and
0: if nobody else is doing it, yeah, I mean who's yeah. going to do it, do it yourself, That's right? right? That's awesome.
1: And that kind of went down started this about 18 to 20 months journey of my life about like, okay so like how do you start a business, I was never an entrepreneur, I never really thought I would go down this route, Yeah. so I was trying to figure out like what realistically do I need, uh, how do I get that, took a lot of business meetings, took a lot of coffee meetings, went to a bunch of networking events. Got a business coach for a while and really started to like hammer out like, what does this business plan look like? What is, what is it that I need? Who can I call in favors from? How do I make this a reality? And so there's a lot of starts and stops to that, really. i uh, really trying to get everything together the way that I needed to. So eventually, though, uh, I was getting some of the money together that I knew I was going to need to actually open this up. The biggest selling block was finding an actual space for it to happen from yeah rent is not cheap so we're trying to find a place like where realistically can i have this so that i don't you know go out of business in the first three months because i can't pay rent payments yeah so around that time there uh lena huffman reached out to me who is the owner of the bridge so the bridge is actually what i am sort of a part of they're the co-working space that i'm on the floor of okay i'm one section of the bridge that members can use and the public can come in and use at the same time. And so a co-working space is normally just a bunch of uh, businesses who don't need like an entire office floor or just need a desk or, again, like me, can't afford the rent of an entire building or something like that yeah. every month. And she said, why don't you come be part of the bridge? We'll like, help you out uh, advertising and really? help build some of your uh, studio space and stuff like that for yeah. you as well. And I was like, sure, yeah, let's do it. After I had a few meetings with them, I felt comfortable enough to kind of sign on the dotted line. And then October of 2017 is like the official start date of of Media Lab. Yeah, I have the green screen and the cameras and the lighting and the yeah. editing equipment. I'm looking at my podcast booth that I have yeah. over here. To my yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, this and it looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's phenomenal in here.
1: I mean, and the thing too about it is that. We were talking about this right before I started recording. My mind goes like, I know where I want this to grow to. Yeah, I know we started off small and like one, one room, one area, um, and I know that I actually want to grow this to be. It would be cool if I was like the entire floor, where each room was kind of its individual thing. Yeah, well, but it takes time, and I understand it takes time. Absolutely, for yeah, for this to grow to where you need it to go to. And I'm currently throwing up. Obviously, when you're an entrepreneur, you know this, but I am the, the accountant and the marketer and the, and the guy behind the business and creating my own stuff and so there's all these hats that i'm wearing all at the same time so it's a huge learning experience for me yeah uh, even to the point there is a student from safe who's doing his internship here uh for me which is great cool uh, but learning how to be a boss like I, I guess i've been a manager in at chapters and stuff but this is really more like i have to know how i am like the head of everything. I get to make make the decisions. Yeah. How do I effectively communicate that? How am I fair to them and and all that stuff too? So lots of learning I've been doing in the last few months,
0: which is awesome. And I mean, in my mind, that's what life is about is learning. Yeah. And so, so you're doing all of this, and you said it took eighteen to twenty months yeah, from, from, that, from kind of
1: idea to actual actual going live.
0: Yeah, and I remember talking to yes. you about it at at those initial meetups that we had and and it was this you know it at the time it's crazy because at the time you talked about it like this is my dream yeah. this is you know you talked about it with the intention of doing something about it yes. but also very much with the but it's kind of a pie in the sky like right, you know right. we'll someday yeah. kind of thing right so it's really really cool for me to see that conversation turn into, no, now this is what I do. Yeah.
1: I think what it has to you have to be comfortable with is that anytime you go down a new venture like this, where you're really putting yourself out there, is that you you can't play it entirely safe. Um up until this point I was like, no, I need to be like financially responsible. Mm I need to go into debt. But when you're owning a business like no, you go into debt real quickly. Yeah. it's like you're buying equipment that you don't have the money for. It. You're taking out bank loans and and all this stuff. Uh, yeah. Which every business does. So it's just being uh, you know, a being a little bit uncomfortable again is where you learn the most.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome. I love that. I mean, I guess you learned that lesson at a young age mm-hmm. with the 4-H. Sure. Right. You have to be a little uh, uncomfortable because yeah. I mean, me as a kid, yeah. I don't know if I'd get through 4-H. I mean, I, I I like to think that I'm, you know, can do things and can get out there. But, I you know, there's so many things that I just think, I don't know if I could do
1: that. You also hate cows.
0: I, I hate, I hate cows with a, <laughs> no, cows are all right. But it's, yeah, it, it's crazy to see how this has come together Uh, like this so what is now Mm -hmm. you you imagine a future where it's the whole floor kind of thing
1: you know bigger better um, financially stable of course Mm -hmm. i mean if if everything works out the way that i want it to work out of course i would love for this to open in a couple of different spots around the city. A few different spots around the city. I'd like it to go to different cities. One of the reasons why I called it Media Lab YYC was with the intention of being, well, when I go to, like, Vancouver, it'll be YVR, and it'll be Y-E-G if it goes to uh, uh, Edmonton.
0: Classic Calgary thing. Stick in the... Yeah,
1: apparently, this is actually a very Canadian thing, which is, like, we use our airport codes... As the city. As a city, like, branding thing. Yeah. Which, happens in like America or anywhere else, but yeah. that's what we do in Yeah, Canada.
0: I mean, yeah, people in LA aren't like, I'm from LAX. Like, no, I'm from yeah. LA. Yeah. The airport is LAX. That's what they do
1: more in, in the US is area codes. Like really? phone area codes. So it's like, I'm from the 619, or like I'm from the
0: whatever. Really, really, that's interesting. Yeah, whereas I, I mean, I'm from, I'm from the 403, I guess? Yeah. Slash 587, yeah, but then yeah. that's really vague because all of Alberta is 587. So <laughs> causes a few issues, yeah, but weird. that's all right. Uh, so so what other things other than Media Lab do you do?
1: I really want to make a more concerted effort to give back to the community. This is something I've been really thinking about and actually something that is popping up in a lot of companies and, and corporate culture, which is, you know, it's great. We live in a capitalist society, so bringing money in is not in and of itself a bad thing. Mm-hmm. However, uh, if you only hoard it for yourself and don't think about giving back, then there I don't know if humanity excels at that point. So I'm, I'm, I'm really touching on ideas on how to, you know, support charities that I really want to respect and, and honor. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, scholarships and stuff that could be promoted from media lab and stuff like that, too. I, again, just a way to kind of give back. There is definitely – different video projects that I've had in the back of my head for like a couple of years now, which I'm going to try and action and make a reality here this year yeah. specifically and just companies to partner up with. Uh, I was in a very interesting meeting here just the other day about just ways to use buildings that are not being used in Calgary yeah. and repurposing them for, again, community use and yeah. educational purposes and stuff like that. So just trying to think of out of the box things to really make and produce and collaborate with, Some of the really great creators that are in Calgary, I think that oftentimes, I think this is more of a Canadian issue again. That we think of like, oh, like we live in Canada, or even worse, like oh, we live in Calgary, so we're not in Vancouver, Toronto, so we we don't have any like cool things going on. Yeah, but there's so many great people in. Great creators and great stuff that's going on. We just have to advertise it and talk about it more, and get together, and get together in real life, yeah. Instead of staying in our house all the time and be
0: and whining about it, right? Right. And I, I think the I I think things in Calgary are picking up a little bit more with, they with are. The film. I mean,
1: with film and, and, and creations, yeah, like artistic things going on. I think that in many ways, because we we're such an oil dependent province and an oil dependent city for so long. I think we still will be for probably a good 25 years, if not more. That being said, because of the downturn that happened with oil prices and that kind of really devastated our city here a few years ago, in many ways I think that there's going to be a very positive impact from that where it forced a lot of people to be like, well, if I can't uh, expect this to be the cash cow it always has been, then what can I do? What, what things can I go and work on instead of being beholden to somebody else? Let me try something new. Yeah. And that's what the cool thing about Calgary o has always been. It's always been that entrepreneurial attitude. And yeah. Like bootstrap's mentality. Which I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it's gonna be like uh, the dial turned to eleven in yeah. the next couple of years because of that.
0: Which is which is super, super good for all of us here. And we've always, like you said, had that entrepreneurial kind of mindset, right? Yeah. So so final thing, we're we're running out of time here. You have a podcast as well. Oh, I sure do, yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that one?
1: Yeah, my podcast is called Assumptions. I do it with my friend Daniel. He's a very devout Christian, and I am what I consider to be an atheist. Uh, I shouldn't say consider. I am an atheist.
0: <laughs> I consider myself to be an atheist, whether or not the other atheists accept me.
1: Exactly. It's like we've had meetings. So I don't... Yeah. Uh, and our podcast is about sitting down and trying to understand each other's worldview. Uh, we don't yell at each other. The, the joke I always say is that it's an atheist and a Christian who sit down and have a polite conversation yeah uh, that is what our podcast is we just started our second season as we're recording this and our first season was all about how we interact with stories from our world view okay the ones that we tell each other the ones that we consume and how does that affect us but the second season was all about relationships yeah all of its different forms so we're talking about family and dating and uh, community and a whole whole host of other things
0: that's awesome. That's awesome. So I'll make sure I have links to all of that there. Yeah. Because that is, I, I think that's something phenomenal in, in a world where a lot of people are a little bit rude to each other for other no good reason.
1: We're in this really interesting time culturally. Yeah. And I don't know what it's leading to. And In many, in many ways, it actually kind of scares me a little bit because I think that both the far right ideology and the far left ideology are very destructive, yeah. and it seems like that's what's pulling North America and even the world farther and farther apart. That you get into these weird silos, and then you just yell at each other, and there's really no compromise whatsoever. Yeah. I also have a, a pet theory that the majority of people fall somewhere in the middle of those like bar two extremes. Oh, totally. It's that they have the louder voices, and these we have to pick camps. So it's like, well, I guess I align with them more and then with these people over here are like. Um, that being said, I think that it's important to showcase in our world that it is possible to have different viewpoints on something and still respect each other. And so that was what assumptions was born out of specifically. And all the other work I try and do is, is in support of that where I don't want to be like, you're wrong or you're evil or you're bad. It's more like, let us try and understand each other even if I deeply disagree with what your point of
0: view is yeah which is awesome well and thanks thanks for sharing all of that I learned a ton of stuff about you which is I mean why I do this show Uh, and and that's absolutely phenomenal so all the best with the uh, creator studio here the the media lab and and moving forward with that yeah yeah absolutely so thank you and yeah
1: thank you
0: This has been My Wax Museum hosted by myself, Alex Williams, and produced by Nightworthy Media House.